And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is a Chinese idiom, literally meaning lose property, escape disaster. Wow. Uh, but it is apparently used to say that something is bad now, but because of that, it will be better in the future. Oh, that's so, an, I like that. Yeah, like the I, only way is up. Yeah. It, uh, can't get any something. worse, can it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the the proper <laughs> sentiment. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me is uh, Danny O'Dwyer. How do you? How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I've 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 been waiting to do this podcast for about nine days because I know that was a fun race. Yes. Uh, also joining us is uh, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Yeah. Again, I think I'm less enamored of a pre-race of the next race and more. I want to talk about post-race Bahrain because that was an incredible Grand Prix. Should we just, everyone has been saying, why don't you guys do weekly podcasts? Yeah. And we, I, go ahead, Danny. Yeah, I think I think this was the the straw that broke the camel's back on that one. Um, I, I, we're going to go weekly again because. Yeah, let's, let's go weekly again. Yeah, that was just, I've, I, uh, Tuesday came around and I was like, oh man, like we could speak to this so much better now like rob was saying before the show it was fresh in our minds it was like an exciting race everyone wanted to like talk about it our twitter feeds were going crazy about it patreon was um so yeah screw it we're gonna work we're bringing back the weekly podcast yeah we originally stopped doing the weekly because it was just too much for me and danny because we were like both starting our new things and uh we were traveling a lot but with three people it's a totally different thing like and not only that we danny and i have kind of uh, reach some kind of equilibrium with both of our projects and yeah. the addition of Rob makes the whole weekly thing a whole lot easier so uh, we're gonna we're gonna give that a shot and I'm excited to do it <laughs> and you know what's gonna happen the next four races are gonna be really boring <laughs> <laughs> yeah so sorry about that no actually if there's anything I feel after that race is that we're, we're, we're in for a fun season uh, this year yeah for sure uh, speaking of fun I did want to <laughs> point out we have updated our Patreon goal uh <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting we're sitting just below 500 right now. So close. And if we reach 500, I wasn't I didn't want to promise this and maybe I shouldn't even be promising this if we hit 500 cuz it relies on something that is not us, but uh I have been in talks with um Blue Coast Brewing which we've talked about, gosh, probably <laughs> since Alt F1. We've talked about more than anybody else not affiliated <laughs> with Blue Coast Brewing. Uh, Danny, do you want to give like a, a a recap of what this thing is? Sure. I mean, it's it's you know we've anyone who's a true fan of the podcast knows so much about it. It's a it's a it's a beer that Daniel Ricardo and like a sort of suite of other motorsport and general sporting celebrities have have a, a business stake in. It's based in the south of France. Um, he's always tweeting about it or, or putting it on his Instagram, but it doesn't seem to actually be sold anywhere except the south of France. Yeah, it doesn't seem real. It like it was the Mission Winnow before Mission Winnow. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't. It seems like a shell corporation, and we've kind of made fun of that for years. And so I finally reached out to them and said, "Hey, do you have a uh, a U.S. distributor?" Uh, and Maxime at Blue Coast Brewing said, "No, we don't." <laughs> Send our beer anywhere, even close to the U.S. But, th- but that didn't stop our friend Drew. Apparently, they can send me a case uh, if I'm willing to pay the uh, shipping cost, which we can do now uh, since we have uh, 
um, some Patreon cash. So we want to do that for you if we can. And if we get 500 uh, Patreon subscribers, we will pull that trigger. Uh, we are again, 13. We are 13. We call them patrons, not Patreon subscribers. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm new 13. to this. <laughs> we have 13. We're, we're so very close. Um, and you've also promised to, because I was saying, oh, next time we're in San Francisco, we'll have like a, like a drinking, like a, like a taste test. But you've actually, you've envisaged that it will be possible to mail them to both me and Rob, which yeah. seems like. I the, think we should do a simultaneous taste test. That sounds like an amazing idea. Again, if this happens, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking over email with a company in France that, again, may not exist. But uh, if we get some beers in our hands, then, then we'll know for sure. I will say as well, we won't, we won't talk specifics here, but uh, your Patreon money will be spent uh, wisely because the, I've seen the number it would cost to ship a crate of beer from America, yeah. from Europe to San Francisco, and presumably back to the East Coast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's worth it, though. It's, it's journalism. It worth it. What, you can't put a price on journalism, right, Rob? Uh, experience, professional experience has taught me that, indeed, many people can. Uh, <laughs> but I think for this type of experiential uh, you know, news you can use, I, I, I think, really, there's, there's no price too dear. Uh, I also <laughs> wanted to point out that, uh, Danny, your video on uh, Jeff Crammon's Formula One. What's the actual name of that game? It's Formula yeah. It's it, it's called Formula One Grand Prix, but it's sort of in that was how it was released, but it has been mostly sort of known as GP One or Jeff Crammon's Formula One okay. Grand Prix. Um, yeah, I did uh, the first of our uh, F One game history videos, which is up for uh, for patrons. So if you're it's so good, five I didn't, bucks a I month. Didn't really know about that game at all, and uh, watching the the CPU turn up and turn down based on how many cars are on screen oh it's so good it's amazing i love when you're it's like and it's not frame rate because i thought it was frame rate but it's not it's it's literally the like cpu clock speed like yeah it ramps up and down um it's funny because i'm at the moment i'm playing a different game called total totally accurate battle simulator Mm -hmm. which does this it does something similar where it will actually kill the frames so that the computational data stays the same so if you put like thousands of people fighting each other it will still be in real time it'll just be less frames um whereas this does the opposite where it computates everything and it just you know it's in slow motion if there's too much going on that's just that's how that game works because it's like it's 3d back in 1993 or whatever like it wasn't yeah. meant to i mean be that's 3D. the thing is like the the date on that game is ridiculous because like most racing games wouldn't look like that for a few more years right it's um, crazy I, I used to play it on my amiga 600 my amiga has one megabyte of ram one <laughs> Like your phone has like I don't know like how many now at this 2, stage four thousand two thousand yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy yeah so if you'd like to uh, watch that video that is available for uh, our patrons uh, so head on ah. over to patreon.com slash shift f one uh, if you want to get on that train uh, speaking yeah. of a lot of things going on this race holy oh, cow boy. I feel like we're gonna unfortunately we're gonna have to speed through this one this is another thing that's gonna be great about weekly episodes is that we get to divide the like talking about the race. Uh, and then like the upcoming race and news and that kind of thing uh, between episodes we don't have to cram everything together but um, let's just jump right into it who's got qualifying notes I really just have the Grosjean block Norris uh, in Q1 and earned a three place grid penalty um, yeah my, my biggest memory from, from qualifying for the whole weekend was just Leclerc's pace all like yeah, super just consistent crushed everyone yeah 
yeah from the top to bottom and then and yeah just and and just and the revelation that that ferrari melbourne performance might have been a blip like that's the narrative of that going through the weekend that oh actually wait a second maybe maybe there was an issue and and we're we're starting to see them at proper pace here and and maybe the mercs weren't sandbagging and testing and they are close as close as you know they kind of looked like coming out of testing yeah i think something else that comes out of this is increasingly like mclaren appears to have some real pace like mclaren genuinely seem like they have pulled themselves out of the ditch they were in for the last few seasons uh but what i find really interesting about that is that so their big change which appears to have gone a long way to addressing some of their their woes was to become mclaren renault and put a renault engine um i do not feel like things are working out brilliantly at renault (laughs) <laughs> uh, in terms of like in terms of race pace, uh, what, what they're getting out of what, what they're getting out of that car, um, this was this was really I think a season. Certainly, Dan, Daniel Ricciardo uh, moved over there I think in the hopes that they would be moving into that sort of front running team, uh, you know, tier regularly in in Q one and doing well. Sorry, Q three and doing well in Q three. Uh, that did not happen here. Uh, once yeah. again, they not, they did not manage to get a car into Q3, and there's and it increasingly looks like there is not pace in that car to get Q3, uh, which is disappointing for those of us who wanted this to be a really great move for Ricardo. Yeah, so let's run down the grid here. We got uh, Leclerc on pole with a 127.8. Sebastian Vettel in second with a 128-1. So, 0.3 away. Uh, Just in third place by a whisker is Lewis Hamilton, followed by Valtteri Bottas. Max Verstappen in fifth. Kevin Magnussen in sixth. We got Carlos Sainz Jr. in seventh. Kimi Räikkönen in eighth. Lando Norris starting ninth. And Danny Rick rounding out the top ten after Grosjean's three-place grid penalty for impeding. Uh, he is in 11th, followed by Albon, Gasly, Perez, Kvyat, Giovinazzi, Hockenberg, Stroll, Russell, and Robbie Kay. Mm. You want to take us through the start, Danny? Sure. Um, oh all boy. eyes on Charles Leclerc, obviously. Everyone very excited for the idea that we might have uh, a young driver um, winning a race. That would be the second youngest driver to do so. Um, the youngest being sitting beside him on the grid um, <laughs> in a similarly colored car. So off they went. And almost immediately you could see um, Leclerc had a, had a bit of, uh, bit of trouble Um getting off uh getting off the grid he, uh, into the first corner vettel pretty much had it uh, done and dusted before they reached the apex um the problem for charles was that on the uh, he went around the outside of turn one which the 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 apex between turn one and turn two is a real pinch like you really want to be on the inside of that curve um and essentially as he sort of tried to um uh, come back in line for turn two there wasn't much space with the mercedes there maybe he was a bit skittish maybe he was still having problem with grip um but his exit out of turn two wasn't particularly good either which meant that uh, botas gobbled him up um on uh what was uh it wasn't drs enabled then but just to make note i did actually not realize that that was a drs straight this year that they had added um mm-hmm. i didn't mention it in my in the previous podcast so apologies about that Um it was a surprise to me too uh so yeah, as as they went up, uh, uh, Bottas is head up into second. Um, 
the uh, ha Hamilton is sort of gobbling up Leclerc as well, but he doesn't actually make it past him. In the back of the grid, though, there's a bit of action. It took a while for it to sort of go back and figure out what it was, but essentially last roll got a little bit of understeer coming out of turn two, and uh, Roman Grosjean, wrong place, wrong time, Roman, um, once again ends up getting a bit of a, a smack um, for his uh, for his woes. Uh, somewhere in there as well, Carlos Sainz Jr. got past Kevin Magnussen. I didn't actually get to see where that happened, but when they came around for turn two, he had he had uh, popped up into, I guess it was sixth position at that stage, uh, for Verstappen in front of him. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it, it looked like a nightmare lap for um, Leclerc, but, uh, you know, eyes were on Hamilton overtaking him, but as it happened when they went into the second lap, Leclerc actually managed to get past Botas on the first uh, twin corners, which was uh, good news for him, and off he was chasing Vettel. Yeah, Botas overcooked it into, I think, turn one, and uh, Leclerc got in on the inside, and that actually caused Botas to lose some momentum, so Hamilton pulled alongside, and they had a good battle back yeah. and forth for a few turns. It reminded me of Hamilton and Rosberg. Totally. Uh, but eventually Hamilton snagged third. Uh, lap four, signs on Verstappen for fifth. He tries to move to the outside, but uh, Verstappen, who's on the inside really nails the curb and that kind of bounces him into signs and pokes his uh, rear right tire um, from the onboards, which you can uh, see on F1's YouTube channel. And I will link that as well in the show notes. Um, I'm not really sure where Verstappen was supposed to go there. Like maybe he could have backed out of it, but like he's, he's committed to the corner. I don't, yeah, I did. I, they, no one earned a uh, time penalty for that. Uh, I think it was just called a racing incident. I watched um, one of the... I can't remember now because it was about a week ago, but um, the F1 YouTube channel has gotten really good with some of their post-race analysis stuff. And I watched uh, yeah. one of the post-race analysis uh, videos um, and whoever it was... God, who was it who did it? I can't remember who did it. Palmer? Um, it might, yeah, it might have been Julian Palmer. Yeah, actually it was Julian Palmer. Um, he seemed to lay the blame with that one on... Um, uh, Verstappen being a little bit or not maybe maybe not his fault but that like he was being aggressive and maybe there wasn't that much room for him but also when you're overtaking Verstappen you try and leave a bit more of a gap than you would another driver um, but he easily could have limped away from that worse um, than the car he struck but uh, he was lucky this time he didn't yeah um, so lap six uh, Leclerc has been gaining on Vettel for the last few laps um, and then finally, uh, on lap six, um, Vettel passes him for the lead, and Vettel gets DRS right after, but couldn't retake the position. Uh, apparently, after the race, uh, it was discovered uh, that approaching turn 10, this is from racefans.net, Leclerc was told to, quote, stay there for two laps, stay there for two laps. However, on the next lap, Leclerc overtook Vettel around the outside of turn one. Afterwards, Leclerc said he was, quote, just letting them know with his original radio message of I'm faster, guys. Uh, and then he says, I think I had an answer. Them saying to me, OK, stay like this for two laps. But then on the next straight, I had the opportunity to go for it. So I went for it and it was a successful pass. Uh, Ferrari apparently did not communicate to Vettel that his teammate had been told to temporarily hold position. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Good. I, it, yeah, it. uh Multi-21, like Charles. Multi-21. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of glad to see um, to see them letting them race as much as they are. Uh, I think it's hard to ignore the pace that Leclerc has. So, um, yeah, it's it's exciting to see them. Uh, you know, it's probably really tense for the team when they're passing each other, but 
uh, certainly from a fan perspective, it, this race was super cool to see teammates racing each other. Yeah, and if there was ever a circuit where I think you're going to be fairly safe with teammates overtaking each other, the wide corners um, of Bahrain are, you know, it's not like they're swimming through the, the, the streets of Monaco this time around. You know, the, there's plenty of spots and three DRS zones to hopefully get the job done. So it'll be interesting to see later in the season in some of the tighter tracks how they go. What I find, I guess, interesting about that revelation is that telling him to stay behind for two laps does not seem like a good call. Um, right. Like Vettel was kind of in the clutches or near the clutches of the Mercedes the entire race. Um, like Leclerc had dominant pace through this weekend and, and certainly through qualifying, and you could see it there on the track. Like after, like the only reason he was not in the lead is because he had an awkward start. Uh, you know, he got a bad jump off the line, which is starts are hard, and certainly this is probably the most pressure he's felt uh, as as a racer in F one to date, but. I find that a. I think Leclerc saved Ferrari from themselves there, because mm-hmm. I think the stay there for two laps <laughs> is kind of a gutless decision that is actually going to serve nobody well. You know what I mean? Like that is that is like a compromise solution that is like somebody wants to dodge having to face down. Like somebody's going to be unhappy in this. Um, saying stay behind for two laps. What's what's the plan there? So in two laps, now you can go to Vettel and be like, "Yeah, okay, you're you need to get out of the way of uh, Charles because you don't have the pace." Uh, but by that point, you might have created a traffic jam at the front of the race that by no means will serve your team well. Uh, so I think it's uh, for the best for all concerned that Leclerc uh, just kind of made an executive decision there, and uh, you know saw the door was wide open and went through it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of radio drama, <laughs> lap eight, Raikkonen's engineer asks, how is the front wing? And Raikkonen responds, I don't know. You'll have to tell me. Yeah. I, I Yeah. You obviously can't see it, but I think they're probably asking for some sort of feedback on <laughs> downforce. Sure, man. To- <laughs> Kimmy will drive it no matter what. Yeah. Uh, lap 12, Giovinazzi and Kafiat bump tires uh, on uh, one of the turns and Kafiat spins off. Yeah, that was that was all Giovinazzi. Just like, yeah, he caught, he so? caught a bit of oversteer, didn't he? I think, or just yeah, the angle. There was so much. Like Danny left a decent amount of space there, and Antonio just couldn't turn in quick enough and, and yeah. clipped him. Yeah, seemed to get off easy though. Giovinazzi, nothing wrong with his car. Yeah. Uh, a little bit later, Verstappen apparently had a slow leak in one of his tires, maybe as a result of right. the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the science collision. This is my favorite thing ever because, like, this whole situation, the, the sort of the house of car, the the domino effect that happened after this. Everyone was saying it looked like some sort of Red Bull amazing piece of t- uh, tactics, but actually, what right. happened was the Verstappen had a slow leak. Yeah, they had and they had to pit. It wasn't some yeah great pit strategy. Do, does one of you guys want to explain? Uh, I guess the undercut and why we saw this cascade happen after Verstappen pitted. I'm trying to remember exactly so, what was happening. Sorry, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, so... Um, okay, so Verstappen makes, like, is called into the pits, and everyone is convinced it's a, uh, strategic, it's a strategy call. And I think one of the things that's already kind of... That bears mentioning 
with this race in particular, is tire wear is going to be a bigger issue throughout this race than a lot of others that we've seen lately. Uh, this is a race where two stops were probably the desired strategy, that one stops were really tough. So there's a question of where are you going to make all this happen. Uh, Verstappen looks like, to, to everyone else, looks like he's going to the pits early to get on fresh tires and uh, you know get, get an advantage there. And... Uh, you know Hamilton, Mercedes make a, make a decision here to pull in Hamilton, uh, and based on that decision, Vettel is pulled in immediately after that, uh, and so I think the the, the plan there, uh, I think that's the sequence that unfolds there is I that think you're right. Hamilton and, and, is called in first. Yeah, and and the reason they're doing this is because if if someone pits before you. And this is the undercut uh, that you'll hear a lot in the broadcasts. They'll talk about the undercut. <clears throat> if someone pits before you, they get on fresher tires and can potentially lap faster than you're lapping on your old tires. So if you don't pit right after them, they're going to make up a bunch of time. Um, and that is, that's called undercutting. Yeah. Uh, so Hamilton is brought in in reaction a bit to the Red Bulls, uh, to, to Verstappen. Uh, and then Vettel is brought in, and it just doesn't work out for Vettel uh, in, in this case. Um, he like, I think he ends up losing advantage on Hamilton. Does he actually lose his? Does he actually lose his position there? He does. No, yeah, I, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, Hamilton. When when he comes out, Hamilton's in second. Leclerc's in first. Yeah. Uh, so it just doesn't. It, like it didn't really work out ideally for Ferrari. I'm not actually sure. I think it kind of also ends up being a wash though is the funny thing is this is a dramatic sequence in the race, but uh, ultimately the decisive moment is going to come later, almost independent of, of what happens here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I suppose maybe you could argue that Vettel being stuck now with Hamilton ahead of him disadvantages him in some key ways later. Uh, But I don't know. There are also some teams that are, are (laughs) making the long gamble, Uh, Ricardo and Magnuson. Um, who are trying to go for a one stop because if you, when you do a pit stop, you lose 23 seconds, 25 seconds. It depends on the track. But yeah. Usually it's around that. Um, and if you can not pit, uh, one of those times and instead just stop once you gain effectively 23 seconds, which is a lot, but you're also on super old tires for a lot of the race when everybody else is on fresher ones. So does that work out? Who knows? Uh, Ricardo and Magnussen tried it, and spoilers, no, that does not work out. It seemed like they were, like they were trying it because literally if they didn't, they had nothing else going for them. Like It just yeah. seemed like an absolute, we have nothing to lose, let's just see. But, but like Rob was saying, what we'd seen all weekend was that the um you know it was a marginal two stop people were saying going into this race that like the the wear on these tires was pretty bad so the idea of like trying to to do it as a one stop was you know especially with the pace we were saying as well it seemed like just the the worst possible combination of factors for what they were trying to do obviously for them it didn't even matter in, in the end anyway but um yeah just it's oh it's it's tough watching Renault this year it's it's, I mean, it's tough watching a lot of these teams. It's tough watching Williams, but it's really it's tough watching Renault at the moment. Uh, lap fourteen, um, Botas is now behind Verstappen uh, because uh, again of the undercut. I think this is what happened. Verstappen got on those new tires quicker, was lapping much faster, and because they pulled Hamilton first, Botas had to wait on his old tires, and so 
when Botas came out of the pits, Verstappen had already made up a bunch of time on him uh, and passed him. So uh, lap 14, Botas finally goes for it for Verstappen for fifth place on the start, finish straight, doesn't get it done there, but stays on him uh, and finally does get him on the second straight, uh, managing to stay clear <laughs> enough from Verstappen to not earn himself a puncture. Uh, lap 40, 34, I'm not sure we saw this on the race feed, but on the uh, onboard video on F1's YouTube channel, Raikkonen comes out of the pits and gets both Toro Rosso's in a couple of turns for 12th place. Some really mm-hmm. primo driving. Um, all right, lap 38. Anybody want to take us through this? Uh, Vettel on Hamilton? Hamilton on Vettel? Uh, yes. Yeah. You want to you want to take it? Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Why not? So one of the things that kept coming up during the race, actually, sort of during the entire um, weekend, we saw it a bit in, in practice too, um, and in qualifying as well, was that there's there was some interesting weather effects going on throughout the the the, the circuit. Um, one of the worst was happening on. I guess that's turn four after the sort of the the additional maybe that's five the additional DRS straight right after that that once you'd crested that it's kind of one of the higher points of the track, um and once you kind of get to the top of that right hander that there was quite a like a gust coming up uh, from the from from the the neck from where you're facing um, mm. into the high cars. winds as predicted by Shift F1 podcast. Right, <laughs> our, our intrepid reporters on the scene let us know. Um, Thanks, Google. And, and that was causing a lot of um, uh, trouble for for some of the drivers some of the weekend. Um, that ended up maybe playing in in a factor here. Essentially, uh, Vettel is ahead. Um, Hamilton's been been cutting up a bit of time on him. He makes he gets DRS out of that uh, on that straight. He fakes to the inside. Vettel protects inside. Hamilton then because i guess the width of these turns there's so much space there but still no one really expected anyone to to overtake around that outside so hamilton sort of goes neck and neck with uh, vettel who's protecting the inside hamilton easily gets around him by the time they're still on the apex of the turn by the time hamilton's cleared him and essentially as they're sort of straightening up vettel just loses the back of the car now there's a couple of things that could have happened here and that we've sort of heard after the fact vettel said that he was genuinely surprised that he didn't expect hamilton to to be on the outside of him and to be ahead of him that fast um he thought he had protected him or at least had had slowed him down enough to 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 keep the position so uh that was an element the wind had been playing a lot of uh had been playing havoc on drivers at that part of the circuit during the race we'd heard reports so that might have also been a factor um uh, and then i guess the other the sort of i guess the conclusion a lot of people have come to in the end is that while that might have played a factor it seemed like vettel just tried to get back on uh, the gas as quickly as possible maybe lit up the tires a little bit too much lost traction and 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 spun it um i don't know what state his tires were in at that stage were they in uh, second pit stop territory or whatever but um, it's you know what what sort of looked like a, a maybe the reaction a car would have when the two cars touched there was plenty of space between the two of them but Vettel um, spun and, and also fucked his tires basically he had to come in for a pit stop because of uh, because he had, had, had flat spotted him so badly I guess in the, in no, the spin no it delaminated uh, oh really like completely yeah so after he recovers from the spin uh, he starts so there's, there's a couple things that happen Oh, God, I uh, forgot so, about what happened after. Right, the, so yeah. after he recovers from the spin, he's driving along. The tire is, uh, like, completely ruined, 
and it is starting to delaminate, and there's like an intense vibration going through his car. And then, like we saw with Ricardo, uh, right, I think his front wing comes off, um, and he ends up driving over it. Uh, and I think, like, I think that's the other thing that happens here is that, uh, these, these front wings, uh, yeah. So the front wings, remember this year are much, much wider. Hmm. And I do kind of wonder now, did Ricardo's wing actually hit something in Australia? Because the thing about having a long, like, like a long thing, like a wing. You're saying there was a gunman on the the grassy knoll (laughs) (laughs) that shot his wing off. I'm talking about resonance. Like, resonant frequencies, like, weakening materials and, like, fracturing them at joints. That's what I'm saying. Because this is clearly what happens to to Vettel, is that his front wing is fine. There's no reason for that thing to explode off the car when it does. His rear tire is bad, but the wing isn't making contact with the ground. The vibration just shakes it loose and causes it to pop off and go under the car. Really similar to what we saw happen with Ricardo. And the assumption was... Ricardo hit something in uh, in Australia, right. maybe. But now we've seen this thing happen twice with these two big two. front wings. Yeah, and like here, we clearly know that Vettel was dealing with a vibration in the car because of a compromised rear tire. Uh, Ricardo was driving on bumpy grass. Uh, again, him, I am more inclined to believe that, like, yeah, he probably did hit something or just get unlucky. But I do kind of wonder if. Um, I have a suspicion we're going to see more of this happen this year because it looks to me like the increased wing size uh, in situations where the, the, the vibration of the car is compromised, it seems like there's an issue now. Um, now, it's cropping up when you're probably already in trouble. Uh, like Vettel is, but it, it is a it is a funny thing now to have seen in back-to-back races. Um, I'll say this. I think people are being unfair to Vettel. Yeah. What, about spinning once more? Yeah, like, I looked at that replay a lot of times. And, like, you can sort of tell when a, when a driver's trying to light the tires up a little bit. There's usually something you can tell, like, uh, they were, like, clearly giving it gas too early or something. I look at that Vettel thing, and clearly he made the, like, clearly he did something wrong. But I'm not sure he did something wrong in the sense that, it was an error in judgment, right? Like, this is one of those things, like, it just feels to me like a combination of the way air was moving over that circuit and then where he was in relation to Hamilton and how that would have affected uh, airflow blowing over the circuit over his car and then him starting to come out of the corner. He doesn't light his tires up. The car just goes away from him really suddenly. And... We've seen Velo make a lot of mistakes and be justly criticized for a lot of them. This really does look like one of those fluky things that comes from challenging tra- track conditions, uh, kind of an unpredictable, like, how often do you really get a sense for how your car is going to handle running close alongside another car in dealing with that sort of outwash? Like, that's probably the thing you practice least, you know, that is something you just have to experience. Uh I don't know. I like this. This sort of felt like there is the beginning of a narrative around Vettel that he is not what he was, and that he mm. makes mistakes in key situations, and that did become justly a narrative last year. It feels like now there's kind of a rush to find supporting evidence for that narrative, and I'm not sure I see it in this incident. 
Are you saying that Sebastian Vettel is this year's Daniel Kvyat? <laughs> that everyone is... Uh, I mean, okay, look. Yeah. The, the, the torpedo was at fault for, for some of his uh, incidents, for sure. But you're right. Like, coming off of last season, especially when Vettel had a bunch of, you know, spins, most of them were through contact with other drivers, not what this was, obviously. But there is that... I I saw it in some of the post race analysis stuff that there was that prevailing trend again to sort of see oh and it does sort of marry up nicely with the you know prodigy teammate which then again if you sort of you know you go back long enough on you know in the storyline in this particular soap opera was essentially Vettel's old part so I, I it it does seem like you know that would be a good story if you could write it that way. Yeah, Ham- Hamilton actually came out and defended Vettel. Um, I think I got some quotes here from racefans.net. He says, uh, I looked at the replay and we didn't touch. It was really windy there. It happens to all of us. Just because you're a multiple world champion doesn't mean you're not going to have off weekends. Look at Vettel's career. He has had uh, stunning performances that far more outweigh the weaker races and when he's spun, uh, for example. They're minuscule on the status he's accumulated and created. I love Zen Hamilton. Who is this guy? Like- yeah. Can, this is like the, the Mortal Kombat Johnny Cage thing at the moment. We need like I want Zen Hamilton to race like season two Hamilton, who's just rageful. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure I buy it though. Like you know what? Let's see. Let's see what happens if Valtteri continues fighting hard for championship right. points and like doesn't go gently into the supporting position. <laughs> uh, and then like how Zen does Hamilton remain? Like he doesn't like getting challenges from inside the house. Uh, and maybe he has a better relationship with Valtteri, but I like. I think Valtteri. Is, I think Hamilton is generous with rivals early in the season, and generous with people early in the season. And he is generous when he secured a victory and has mm-hmm. nothing more to worry about. I think he presents a different face when things are close and he's in the fight. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, inter-teammate strife. Lap 39, oh Ricardo on Hulkenberg for sixth place at the end of the start-finish straight. Uh, Ricardo uncharacteristically locks it up and gives Hulkenberg uh, a little love tap. Uh, apparently, he is not quite comfortable yet with his uh, his new car, which I guess is to be expected. Um, but Will Buxton actually has a pretty good article on uh, Formula1.com uh, like comparing uh, Ricardo and Gasly versus um, Leclerc Raikkonen and uh, Science, who are all in new cars, but that right. la- latter th- group of three is doing way better than the former two. Hmm. Uh, I can I can link that in the show notes uh, as well. They were both on the same strategy, weren't they? Um, does kind of look like Hulkenberg wore that one-stop strategy a little bit better. Um but yeah, that's uh, it, it was sort of an, they had sort of an awkward. There are a lot of awkward things for Renault this race. Yeah. Uh, but the, the 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 encounters between Hulkenberg and Ricardo uh, were certainly were certainly among them because Ricardo was not quite willing to give up that spot. Right? Um, you know, he gets passed by Hulkenberg, um, and then Ricardo is you know fighting back and. I think when you know when he does lock up and he, he sort of taps Hulkenberg, um, he also I think messes up his front wing a little bit. Yeah, uh, it gets crunched by Hulkenberg. Yeah, um, you know. He said after the race, running into Nico, I did not plan on that, but under braking, I am not there yet. 
uh, so that wasn't in the script. <laughs> I wonder how much it affected his performance because he did get gobbled up by um, by Raikkonen and um, and uh, Norris, I guess, as well um, in the the next couple of laps. Yeah, so be. I don't know. In the replay, it looked. Uh, I think there was a wobble on it, but it not not much fell off. But you know, then again, these wings—you don't need that much to come off the the sides of them to to have a big effect, especially if it's a wrong side. Uh, but to finish a race, you do need an engine. Lap oh boy, forty-six. Leclerc a, says a over the radio, "There's something strange with the engine," and starts to slow by about 20, 25 kilometers an hour. Uh, he is about eight seconds ahead of Hamilton at this point in the lead. Um, and initially, they think it's a problem with the MGUH, which is the uh, the the heat recovery unit. Um, two laps later, though, Hamilton has caught Leclerc and passes him with no problem, uh, and even gives a little wave of acknowledgement, like "May man, I don't know, I don't know what's going on, but uh, <laughs> thanks." Um, so now it's a question of whether Botas can pass Leclerc and when Leclerc made that radio message, Botas was 30 seconds behind him, but he's lapping at like, you know, three or four seconds faster a lap. So it becomes increasingly clear that, uh, Botas can indeed pass him. Um, so we don't even know if Leclerc will even stay on the podium because, uh, Verstappen is six seconds behind Botas. So he's almost sure to pass Leclerc. Um, so three laps from the finish, Botas passes Leclerc for second, and uh, Verstappen is closing fast. But uh, <laughs> the continuation of the Renault saga, who wants to take this one? Boy, oh boy. Well, I don't know who, like, somebody's stabbing a, a Renault voodoo doll somewhere <laughs> in the world. And because I don't know, like, this confused the hell out of everyone. Well, but uh, I was convinced sorry, it was a Ricardo has gotten into it with another teammate. Remember, the way this totally. unfolds is. Both the Renaults are off the track in the same neighborhood. And we've already seen them touch once before in this race. And so immediately, like my first thought was like, oh, God, they've done it again. Like, Ricardo has been involved in another one of these. Like, that's right. that's not a good look. But then both which, which was are... confusing because you're like, there's like four places between them before this happened. But everyone was like, what? how did what? And it turns out that instead... Uh, what happens is both their engines fail simultaneously, different failures. Yeah. Um, so with Hulkenberg, you can when you sort of have the tail cam, you see classic like the engine blows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he's going along in a good clip, and then suddenly there's a you know a puff of blue smoke that sort of grows into a cloud, and he's he's done. Reich, uh, sorry, not Reichens. Ricardo's is weirder. Yeah. Uh, he is coming through turn one, and the car switches off. Um, yeah, just loses all ice on his. You dash. ever had this happen, by the way? Yes. In, yeah, it's in, all. In it's car? it's terrifying. terrifying. Wow, you've had that happen, like driving a car. Yeah. Oh yeah. God. I was in. I was uh, in the middle of an intersection, turning left, and I lost everything, like including power steering. So I had to like yeah, I was about muscle to say. my way over to the curb. It was nuts. Did the steering not lock? No, it just uh, I had to I had to muscle it because the wow. power steering motor uh, died too. Yeah, no, I've had like a electrical system fail in a car completely, like on the road, and just to have the car basically shut off. Uh, I can't imagine having that happen, uh, you know, at you know through the in the turn one, turn two complex uh, at Bahrain. But yeah, he's coming through it, and then the car just goes completely dead. 
and he has to nurse it onto the grass. And then something else happens, which is, you know, at this point we've all had drilled into us that you absolutely positively must reattach your steering wheel uh, after you get out of the car for, uh, you know, course workers to attach, uh, you know, both to maneuver the car out of the way. And I think there's kind of an attach point uh, that they're using for, uh, you know, as part of harnessing the car and moving it off. Uh, but either way, the wheel needs to be attached uh, to to the shaft. Um, Ricardo doesn't do that, and there was sort of speculation as, uh, you know, obviously the stewards will want to hear about it. And then apparently what emerged later is that um, when, after his engine fails and he stops, uh, there is there's an indicator light in the car uh, from the ERS system uh, his was flashing like the red alarm, uh, saying that the car was electrically unsafe. And he was told, like, shut off the engine and jump out of the car. Do not <laughs> touch the car. Uh, which also, I don't the know. Car like, actually, is I a third rail. Thing. How do you get out of the car without touching it? These car, like with the, with this is a case where like with especially the, with the uh, halos. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious about that. But anyway, maybe they're insulated. I don't know. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so we just didn't reattach the steering wheel because at that point, like, the car might be, like, discharging. Um, and so he did not, you know, he didn't know that he could do that safely and walked away, uh, which is a weird thing to think about. Like, as we're used to the dramatic, like, oh, car, like, you know, cars catch fire. People have to make a quick exit. It's kind of scary to think about this notion that, like, with these with these power units, uh, your car could, as you just said, like turn into the third rail. That the car, without any real exterior warning signs, uh, be live. There is one sign. It is a blink, and you can see this in the replay uh, when they're showing Ricardo's empty car. There's a little flashing red light up near the uh, the air intake, or mm. maybe it's near the camera, the T bar. But it's on the it's on the, like the driver's side of the of the car. Um, and if that is flashing red, that means the car is live, electrically live. Don't touch it. Uh, so wow. that's why the the car was not pushed off the track by the marshals, um, which means safety car. So uh, safety car well, comes out, and you know, what was what was that what was that Chinese for, uh, idiom you said at the start? Uh, uh, there's no way I can remember it, but yeah, yes, that, that, that kind of works out here. Yeah, so um, because the the safety car comes out and there's not enough time, this happens like two or three laps from the finish, uh, the race finishes under safety car, so Verstappen does not get a chance to pass Leclerc. Uh, Leclerc ends the race in third place, in second place, Valtteri Bottas, and in first, <clears throat> Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton praises Leclerc, um, who, is, who is also gracious in defeat, just saying, you know, it wasn't their day. Um, apparently after the race, uh, Ferrari this is from their official website. They say that they've traced the fault on the car to a short circuit with the, uh, within the injection system control unit. This type of problem has never been seen before on the component in question. Charles Leclerc will use the same power unit in China that he used for the Bahrain Grand Prix. So uh, just a yeah, localized problem. No, yeah. I, yeah, which makes sense why they weren't able to diagnose it live, I guess. Yeah, apparently that caused a missed combustion in one cylinder. Mm. Uh, 
Oh, really? That's what that's it was. What yeah, I guess huh. uh, injection system, meaning fuel injection. So right. they weren't getting the right, the right pop from one, one of the V6s. Um, so yeah, there you go. That is the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah, um, classy Hamilton in the in the what do we call it? The, the, the green room. room. The green room. Yeah. Post race, saying you've got you know, way more wins ahead of you and and all that sort of stuff. Not what Charles wanted to to hear obviously but uh it's a you know we've had a lot of young drivers young prodigies come through the sport in the past you know decade you could even say uh i i don't know if any of them at least at his level are are quite as level-headed as charles leclerc is like he's he's incredibly like i wouldn't say stoic but like he's just professional like and yes. even with his emotions i think his emotional maturity for the age he is and for what he's doing is is very impressive it's a weird he acts like he's been here before which is yeah, a weird he's like, like yeah which is something they te- like people will tell you to do but that's that advice only gets you so far when you're doing something at the pinnacle of your profession like f1 uh for ferrari but nevertheless he does carry it off like I think other people Deion hard- Sanders. Yeah, a bit or or but not as flashy, right? He just seems really unfazed by the level he's at and the the level of sport. Um but also not particularly cocky about it. It's just a it's a it's a strange quality. Something else in that green room conversation was interesting. Uh, so when he's telling Leclerc, you know, you got way more races ahead of you than, than I do. And they sort of gestures at Valtteri. And he's like, oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, wait. And he sort of pauses and breaks off. And it's this weird, like, it is a good question. How many more years is Valtteri going to be? In F1, but it was just a, it was just a funny moment where like mm. Valtteri's kind of in this weird spot where he is in these sort of abridged generations we have of drivers. Valtteri is like almost like you know he's part of a different cohort than Hamilton. He is a, part of a younger cohort, I believe. But in terms of like you know where he's at in his career, he may he may already be at the halfway point. Um, and I just, it starts, it was funny to me to watch Hamilton sort of realize mid sentence that like, Hmm, this could be an awkward thing to say. So I'm going to stop talking. Yeah. Well, it's like Lewis Hamilton's talking as somebody who has like, you know, multiple world championships and uh, wait, does he have four now? Is he four championships? Five. Hamilton? Five? Yeah. Five. Five. Well, like Valtteri Bottas has four wins. So like, you know, it's like they're. Yeah, it's it, yeah. It'd be different. Maybe if Vettel was standing there, it could be a bit more open with his uh, with his gushing or how much. Because um, like Leclerc at this stage has looks like he has moment, the momentum to to be you know one of the the greats of this uh, of this era for sure. So yeah, I mean, not only has he uh, won everything that he has entered basically, and and kept a really uh, level head through all of that, but I think the 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 documentary Drive to Survive does a really good job of um, explaining what's you know the things that have gone on in his personal life with the loss of his godfather Jules Bianchi and his his his, his father yeah. um, uh, during his Formula Two season. Like those things, coupled with uh, you know th- uh, an incident like this, um, I think is just 
it's all tempering him. He's like he's like a samurai sword, a samurai sword that you just you keep sticking into the fire and folding over and folding over to make it stronger and stronger and stronger. Like this, I, I think the he is going to be unstoppable once he uh, once he reaches a um, a good bit of momentum. Yeah, you, you. I got the impression after this as I was sort of thinking about it that this this will do nothing but good things for him like if yeah. he if he won it would be wonderful externally he would have a lot more pressure and eyes on him for the next couple of races like he well you know he's learned a lesson from this for sure and i think he also impressed people by the fact that like he came on the podium i noticed the safety car and i know you could hear you know when he was freaking out in the car he was still like level-headed like he was he was getting frustrated and vocalizing it but he wasn't freaking out yeah. Um and he kept the car, you know, he did as as well as he could with it, um, with with the lack of power. And I think, yeah, like coming out of this, it's just going to, you know, it's gonna make the the eventual win that much sweeter when it comes. And it, by the looks of things, it it could come very soon. Could come in China. Could come uh, in China. But before we get there, let's run down the race result here. Lewis Hamilton on top, followed by uh, Valtteri Bottas and Leclerc stepping onto the third spot of the podium behind them. Max Verstappen in fourth, Sebastian Vettel in fifth, followed by Lando Norris in his McLaren, Kimi Raikkonen in his Alfa Romeo, Pierre Gasly in his Red Bull, Alexander Albon in his Toro Rosso, and Sergio Perez rounding out the top 10 in his racing point car. Behind them, we got Antonio Giovinazzi in 11th place. Then we got uh, Kafiat, Magnussen, Stroll, Russell, Kubica, and then uh, classified in the race were Hulkenberg, Ricardo, and Sainz. Um, I think because, uh, don't quote me on this, there is some point that you reach where you don't have to technically finish the race, but you've, uh, it, you are considered to have finished it. Yeah. Um, but not classified in the race was Roman Grosjean. Gosh, what a bummer. Damage. I know. He always seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and maybe that's part of his driving style. Maybe it's bad luck, but yeah. Sucks. Uh, should we take it to some news before we hop into China? Sure. Um, also happening in the Bahrain race weekend was Formula 2 kicking oh, off their so inaugural good. season. Danny, tell us about oh. it. Oh, my God. Can I, okay, this is my new favorite thing because on F1 TV... They have the uh, Formula 2 races, and of course, this was the first race of the season. It was on Saturday. They had the sprint uh, on Sunday, which a lot of people watched after the fact, especially because Mick Schumacher was in pole for that one. Um, the Formula 2 race was... I, I cannot recommend highly enough watching those as a as an exciting lead-up to the to the main event on Sunday, because it there's was two races, so right? much fun. There's, there's, there's a I, feature this, race, which is first, right. and then there's a sprint race, which is second. And I yes. think... The, the the grid it's shorter and the grid for the sprint race they take the top eight finishers of the feature race and flip them yeah so whoever got wondering. eighth place starts on pole in the feature or in the sprint race right. which is awesome I love that idea that's class I was wondering why Mick was in pole then because he had come I you know towards the the back of the front um uh during the, the feature race uh that's that's really cool and I obviously wouldn't have been enough time to do another qualification unless they did it that morning or something right. um. But it was fantastic. It was, uh, you know, tire strategy was the way of uh, of, uh, of 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 the the race. It was one of those, you know, you're watching a driver for half the race catch up to see if they can win it, and sort of it all comes down to the end. Um, some great overtaking all over the place. Just the nature of those cars. Uh, there was one interesting. 
I think it was during the race. It was either the race or quality. It's all a blur now because it was a week ago. No, it was definitely the race where we had a DRS failure at one stage where it didn't close as oh, they were. Uh, I think that was qualifying. Was that quali? Yeah. Yeah, it was a real scary one. Someone just flipped. Yeah. Like one of those, like if you think Vettel's spin was was weird, <laughs> watching a car turn with a it's with like DRS still open. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like it hit a banana peel in Mario Kart. They just like <laughs> like rotate. Um, yeah, it was super. I really enjoyed it, and it has. They have just from a video production perspective as well. I really like that it. it basically has all of the same graphics and stuff as the regular Formula One package. Yeah, Different. which did not used to be the case. No, that is a fairly new thing. Yeah, they've amalgamated it. And also, the narrative behind it is basically like, oh, look at Leclerc, look at all of these drivers who've come up through uh, Formula 2, as it's now known, um, over the years. You know, who are the... This is where it begins. Like, they, there was some slogan they said at the start, which was like, oh, they're rebranding this as, like, this is the farm league for F1. Right. Um, uh, and it, it lived up to it. It was it was a lot of fun, you know, watching, watching uh, them go around. So, uh, yeah, I... Can't recommend highly enough. There's only, I think there's 10 or 12 races in the season. There's, it's not every circuit, but... Um, yeah, they, they don't do a lot of the flyaway races. It's mostly in, in Europe. Right. Um, Bahrain, you know. I guess that's close enough to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, Israel is in the Eurovision Song Contest. So. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I didn't mean that facetiously. It's like, it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Greece is, Greece is right there, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the cars are all... I think they're all the same... I think they're all made by Dallara. Dallara? Yeah. Dallara? I can never remember. Uh, so it's close racing, too. It's fun. Uh, there was also a test in Bahrain. Um, George Russell set the fastest time in the... McLe- uh, I'm sorry, the Mercedes. Uh, Fernando Alonso also did some laps in the McLaren. Just can't get enough. He is Jones. He cannot wait to get back. Uh, he was there all weekend. He was. I know. He was in the... In park, in the, in the they park, cut in to the, him. Casting when, longing, loving looks at that car. <laughs> uh norris posted uh uh a picture i think on his instagram where it was like he was on the jack for like a um a pit stop that alonzo was driving and his caption was uh i'm on the jack and alonzo goes long in the pits coincidence <laughs> like he overshot his pit box and may have uh given uh norris a little love tap i, I can't believe they put him in the fr- on the jack especially that's it may have be just been l- a fun photo. I, I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> uh, Mick Schumacher, uh, previously mentioned, um, Formula 2 driver, son of Michael, did some laps in the Ferrari, which everyone freaked out about, um, and some in the Alfa Romeo. He did it uh, in the, one of the uh, early 2000s Ferraris, right? Am I wrong? No, that no. was a different thing. Sorry, that was a different thing. Yeah, this is a contemporary I've, Ferrari. I've been going through the backlog recently. I got caught in a in a Charlie Whiting um, pre-race briefing sort of uh, oh, uh-huh. YouTube hole, and I ended up watching like 20, because ha- I forgot they put them all up. I've been watching them over the years, but they have like going back like years and years and years, just like edited um, ones of those. So yeah. yeah, while I was doing that, there was a video of Mick driving one of uh, Michael's old cars. Uh, some Pirelli prototypes were tested by Signs and Kofiat, uh, and a handful of new, maybe not new to testing, but uh, maybe new to new to us, um, Formula One watchers. Uh, Dan Tictum, um did some testing for Red Bull, Pietro Fittipaldi for Haas, Jack Aitken for Renault, and Nicholas Latifi for Williams. Uh, speaking of Williams, um, I don't know if we covered this, but Patrick Head... Uh, who, uh, with whom the team won 16 world titles 
uh, he's still a a minority shareholder in the company, despite having officially retired, returns to Williams as a two-day-per-week technical consultant, primarily focusing on internal structures and processes. We need the Um, wolf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, That's from racefans.net. You may recall if you watched the Williams uh, documentary that Patrick Head is the guy that comes in. He's like, hey, guys, check this out. Ground effect. And then just (laughs) destroys everyone else in the field. Uh, Everyone is citing this as like a huge, uh, a big, a big step forward for Williams. Who knows? Um, Two days a week, though. So Silica has to get his golf in, you know? Yeah, you know, he's retired. (laughs) Um, And also just a shout out to Shin Boy and Epic Milk on the Cloth Map Discord. uh, And also at Biostats on Twitter for linking this um, cool YouTube video of Valtteri Bottas showing off his steering wheel and what all the buttons do. Oh, yeah. It's really uh, good. It's, it's probably the best description I have seen. It's not every button on the wheel, but like a really good overview. And it actually, it was shot before the uh, uh, the Australian Grand Prix, and he points to one button. He said, this is reverse gear. I've never used it, but you never know. <laughs> and then <laughs> in the... Uh, like the celebration area when he's pulling in for his first place, he actually did it indeed need to use the reverse gear. So I thought that was funny. I will link and that in the show notes. Can I, can I mention one thing which I f- totally forgot to talk about when we were talking about the Bahrain race? Uh-huh. Uh, and you just met, uh, it was because you mentioned, I think you mentioned the Discord, that when I was, I was chatting to some people during the race and at one stage, Robert Kubica was in 10th place for I think <laughs> half a lap. He got into the points, and everyone went completely bananas. Uh, and then he was quickly gobbled up by everyone taking their pit, coming out of their pits or whatever. Um, but for for a, a little second there, he could he could taste one point. So his day's you know, coming. It's coming. It's coming. On a long uh, enough timeline, he wins. Also, in that Williams article on RaceFans.net, it was kind of a the title of the article is Williams are in far better shape off track than on it. Um, there are suggestions in the paddock, this from the article, uh, that the value of the Rokit title sponsorship deal exceeds the $15 million paid by Martini. That, combined mm. with its Orland support, which is an oil company, via Robert Kubica, means Williams remains on sound financial footing despite finishing last in 2018. Uh, a portfolio of six new sponsors largely offsets the loss of an estimated $10 million uh, in F1 monies. So, they might, who knows, it's not total doom and gloom uh for those guys hmm. it's no mission winnow money uh let's take it to china danny what say you sure let's talk about china the china. shanghai international circuit uh this is a weird circuit it's 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 a, a tilka special um at the time of its building it was the most expensive circuit ever made um i think it still might be the most in terms of it never makes a profit back i feel like um the uh the circuit that was built in uh, uh in the united Arab emirates in yas marina um uh seems to be doing pretty well but shanghai is just one of these circuits with these big it, i mean it's a long circuit it's it's it, it's fairly spread out it's the opposite of bahrain in many ways it folds back in on itself it just kind of goes out it's built on a marsh so it's pretty flat as a result as well and it just has these big spectator stands which for most of the weekend um lie pretty empty it's kind of like the top of the oakland coliseum where they they never fill it so they just have that big uh the big sign for i guess the raiders before i now yeah. say the athletics on it Good um, so yeah, it seats uh, two hundred thousand. 
Yeah, it's it's outrageous. And you can see some of the like interesting parts that they do use, like for instance, the every team gets its own like like uh office building or whatever, I guess that's on it's in a lake with these like beautiful houses that are sort of I think it's meant to uh replicate the U Gardens in Shanghai. They're kind of these old wooden um uh houses you'll see it in some of the the behind the scenes stuff uh, over the course of the oh, weekend where all the paddock is yeah yeah and then yeah, okay. the pavilion itself or the, the the paddock itself has like it's the massive stand across from the from the pit lane and it has these two huge like glass sort of awnings that that cover it uh over the top it's really really impressive but th- those are sort of the impressive parts and then the rest of it is you know there's um there's a lot of uh there's a lot of empty stands and I kind of don't blame people because it's a weird circuit. It's very, very high speed, lots of high speed corners spread out. And then a couple of like pinch points where the cars slow to a crawl. Um, so uh, yeah, let me just get into it. I guess it's a 5.4 kilometer, uh, kilometer circuit. Um, it's clockwise. The first turn sort of is the, the, the one that a lot of people remember. That on the back straight, which is the longest in, in the season. But the first turn is this crazy whirlpool, which falls in on itself something like 290 degrees. It just keeps um, going. It keeps it's going. It's so it's, long. It's wide. There's plenty of space on the outside. But it also goes down. And then as you're coming back up for turn two, it raises slightly um, and, and, and tweaks to the, to the left. And then that turn goes forever. So this, this whole little section is just like the cars, they start and then they hit this like weird traffic jam. It's like a where spiral every- that yeah. then reverses. And to get out of it, you go do another spiral. It's crazy. Right, and then you're into, you know, the first of a couple of these, like, go, go fast, go, go fast, slow down. Go, go fast, go, go fast, slow down parts of the track. Turn six is, like, a, a super tight one. So out of that turn two, or turn three, I guess it is, sorry, because turn, technically the first corkscrew is two turns. There's a couple of these imaginary turns, actually, on this track. Um, turn three slash four is a double apex left-hander, which then leads into um, the first little straight. They slow down. The exit of turn six is like mega, mega important because the next couple of turns are taken almost flat out. Uh, turn seven's a crazy long turn. Turn eight is a long turn after that. And then you're slowing down into this kind of little arena section for turn nine and 10. Again, another little sprint. And then the exit of turn 12 leads you on to turn 13, which is another never ending left-hander, just like turn one. And then you're on to you know, the, the part where every driver makes a cup of tea because they basically just go flat out on the left side of the circuit um, on this uh, massive uh, straight. It's always less exciting than you think it's going to be, too. Like, that's Which, the weird... The race or the, the, the straight? straight? The straight. Yeah, there's never overtaking like, on. I think the funny thing is... So Montreal's got a fast straight, but there's kinks in it. So it's yeah. not actually straight all the way down. You have the Wall of Champions. So, like, there is excitement and suspense in sort of the way Montreal is laid out. Uh, the Shanghai thing, it really is just like a runway. And the cars, and because the scale is so huge, the cars don't, you don't see speed. That's the thing. Like, we don't actually perceive speed that well. Uh, so, like, the cars are going, I, I think, as fast as they go pretty much this entire season. But they're doing it basically like maybe like if there's some DRS competition you'll see some you know it'll but it'll still be relative speed like it just doesn't look there it's it's sweeping empty space around them they do not appear to be like 
going particularly fast. Uh, and then it all comes down to this this hairpin, which I do kind of like the hairpin. Uh, but the be- problem with the hairpin is that if it wasn't as tight, you might actually see a more overtaking going into it. But as it happens, there's not really that much of a deterrent to you like protecting the inside apex because everyone's slowing down to a crawl there anyway. It's not like you have to retain any speed out of it. No, but there's a lot of open space to the outside of the apex. Yeah. That's the thing is like what you will sometimes see is people willing to risk overshooting to make like, look, I'll just go too deep on the turn. And we can we can see how it unfolds. I agree, though it is too sharp a a turn. What what this track really feels to me in a lot of ways is um a less good Malaysia. Like that has always been yeah. my feeling is that there like the like the way this track is laid out. Um, you know, opening into a corkscrew series of turns that was Malaysia. Like literally, like Malaysia was less complicated and weird, but. It had a really similar effect. Uh, the run through se- the end of sector one through sector two felt very similar. And then the difference is Malaysia puts its uh, back straight and front straight literally right next to each other. And then you right. have the big uh, hairpin around the stands. Uh, I miss Malaysia. It was a good track. Plus, monsoons could always play havoc with qualifying. Oh, which, gosh, which we're not getting it this year. We haven't yeah. gotten it in a couple of years, I think. Yeah. They, they stopped oh, doing man. it like two years ago. Yeah, Malaysia's... Um, uh, I, I completely agree. And the weirdest thing is that Tilka, actually, that one got open five years prior to China. So, um, yeah, Malaysia's like a f- sort of a Franken track between... I feel like there's elements of Bahrain in there as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's, 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 it's China with a bit of like hills. Like there's a lot of like yeah. change. Like that the lower part, that like start of section three in Malaysia is like pretty low and then you've got that uphill hill climb before you hit that last straight. Um yeah, it's uh it's a shame. Yeah. That, and then that, that's that's that I think there's plenty of room for misjudgment in the final hairpin and then the run to sixteen. Like an important part of this is sometimes places don't necessarily need to be friendly to passing attempts. They just need to look friendly. And I think Shanghai, (laughs) like where you will see a lot of action is uh, someone will inevitably get too ambitious in the hairpin at 14. uh, And then somebody's going to take 16 way too fast. And the only reason it's not like a wall of champions situation from 16 into Mm. the uh, main straight is because it looks like there's enough room that that won't be an issue. But consistently what you see people do is they overcook it from 16 they run too wide they try to correct and then they spin the car on the somebody uh, spanned there three times last year somebody spanned during qualification race and practice i forget who it might have been yeah yeah stappen or someone there was some or maybe it was my knee-jerk response to be like oh it was probably gross sean (laughs) i was gonna say stroll Um, and then, and then you're like turn three is another one of those where people just they try and get in down that inside because that big corkscrew. If you if you're patient enough around the outside, you can stick your nose in a little bit going into turn three. Um, well, I, yeah. you can't see. That's the other thing. Is yes. it's this weird corkscrew with elevation changes. Already, these seem like really difficult cars to gauge exactly like the perfect dimensions. But like literally. Drivers always sit lower than you think in these cars, and so when you've got these like really dramatic elevation changes, and then a tight corner where it's going to be literally like physically difficult to like crane your head around to see what you're turning into. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, 
I don't know. It's a weird accordion effect they have they have built into this track. Um, when it, yeah, I always get surprised every year at how I think there's going to be more contact on that first couple of turns, and then there sort of rarely is. Uh, this year we had the added effect of a bunch of rookies and nice wide front wings. So I wonder if this year somebody, you know, especially it. if they're gonna if they're gonna knock off and someone's gonna gobble it up like the past two races, <laughs> it might have a nice uh, uh, knock on effect to the rest of the pack. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a weird track. It's you know. The, there's elements of it like the the first turn and the back straight you kind of add a bit of like excitement this is the one race i always say to people as well if you are this is the one that looks more like a like video game sandbox level like like a like an ai designed the like look of the track because if you're new to f1 it's almost impossible to tell where they are on the track like like in Monaco, where you've got like this is the pool area this is the casino this yeah, is the there's thing. no points of every no there's no points of reference on this track it's just it's just race circus. It's like a track mania level. <laughs> yeah. Just as many loops, too. Uh, the weather's going to be nice. Uh, 70 degrees Fahrenheit or uh, 21 if you're Celsius. Um, on both days, uh, no precipitation uh, in the forecast. And may get some winds. 15 uh, to 17 miles an hour or um, what is that? 24 to 27 kilometers an hour. Uh, on uh, the race and qualifying day. So um, pretty predictable stuff. Uh, let's take it to standings, uh, driver standings. We've got uh, on top, Boater, Valtteri Botas with 44 <laughs> points. Hamilton, 43 points. Uh, Verstappen's got 27 in third place, followed by Leclerc, uh, who jumped Vettel. Uh, with 26 points, Vettel's got 22. Uh, Raikkonen made up two positions to get to eighth place. He's got 10 points. Uh, tied for seventh are Magnussen and Norris. Hulkenberg uh, uh, is in uh, ninth place with six points. Uh, and in 10th, we've got Gasly uh, with four points. Behind him, uh, Stroll and Albon are tied with two. Kafiat and Perez are tied with one. And then uh, Giovinazzi... Sorry, Giovinazzi, George Russell, Robert Kubica, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, um, Carlos Sainz Jr., and Roman Grosjean all have zero points. Uh, Team-wise, Mercedes on top with 87. Ferrari's got 48. Red Bull with 31. And Alfa Romeo jumps up two spots uh, with 10 points. Haas loses a spot. Uh, They are in fifth place with eight points, tied with McLaren. Uh, Renault's in seventh with six points. Uh, and then Racing Point and Toro Rosso are tied uh, for eighth place with three points. Williams has none. Doink. Doink. Um, also, fantasy standings, if you'd like to join us uh, oh, in the boy. official Shift of One Fantasy League. <laughs> the link to uh, our, our league is in the show notes. The current top ten are Shunted Tarantulas is number one, followed by Alpha and a bunch of emojis. Mercedes all the way. The Hamiltons break the system. Mersu Bois. Uh, Fry or die. Leclerc Bear Flare. Uh, in eighth place, <laughs> steering wheel. Hey, hey, give it to me. Move, come on. Uh, ninth place, Dragon Ball GT. And uh, number 10, Scuderia Super Lamb 3. I, by the way, am in 816th place. So oh, kicking your ass. Bring it. I'm down in 745th, does that oh, say? Oh, man. 746th. That's pretty... God, do you want to know who I... 
Do you want to know what I had on my team last week? Please. Both Renos. Oh. <laughs> I had Hulkenberg with the boost as well. I Danny had, yeah. Kivash, who also got spun. Uh, at least I had the Mercedes. That was probably my saving grace. And I did have Verstappen, so I almost had... I almost had a, uh, had a podium lockout. And then Kimmy, who did all right. And he's pretty cheap, I think. But yeah, Hulkenberg and Ricardo. Jesus. I kept Ricardo for both races. I think I'm going to have to leave him this week. And then he'll probably uh, yeah. get on the podium. I dropped Hulkenberg for uh, Perez and gave my turbo to Kimmy. Nice. Yeah. If you'd like to email us, you can do so at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. I got some email here. First up from Don. Hey, Shift F1ers. Long time, right. first time. We've uh, long accepted that the onomatopoeia for a speedy race car is neum, with uh, varying levels of Ys and Os depending on the speediness of the car and how racy you're feeling. However, with the launch of the 2019 season and the collaboration with the Chemical Brothers, F1 <laughs> has seemingly trampled over this rich legacy by spelling it N-E-E-E-U-M with exactly three E's and a U. Uh, Daniel Dwyer, will you take this affront to tradition sitting down or will we need to update the Shift F1 style guide with this possibly trademarked iteration? I have, I have literally given this thought. Like, <laughs> I've, I saw the video and I saw how it was spelled and I was like, yeah, maybe that makes more sense, actually. <laughs> but I, I like the why. I think, I think it's like, you know when you have, remember like in the 90s where everything was extreme, but with an X instead of an EX? Uh-huh. Like, I think the Y is a powerful letter. It's like a statement letter. And I think if you're like, if you're talking to your, like your gran about Formula One, that's when you type in, you know, N-E-E or whatever. But when you're, like, talking about speedy race cars and you want to get into it, that's an N-Y. It's like a, like, it's a harsh, like, consonant fist bump of noise. So I, like, I I appreciate what they're doing and they're trying to appeal to the masses. But Shift F1 has never been about appealing to the masses. It's about appealing to... The, the better F1 fan, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep... Uh, I'm happy with their version, and uh, we're going to keep NY over here. Yeah, uh, I, maybe this is too much of uh, inside baseball, but... Um, <laughs> I was hoping you'd say this. Yeah, we so we wanted to come up with a... Uh, you know, since we've got... This is now a, a... We need a place for the money to go from Patreon, so we set up an LLC, um, and we wanted to have something that did not have... F1 in the title for uh, reasons of copyright. So we came up with Neum LLC, but how to spell it was the question. And I basically, I thought that, okay, I'm never going to remember how many O's or Y's or E's or U's or whatever there's going to be. So what is the the most economical way to do this? Mm. And we went with N-Y-O-O-M LLC. Yeah. It's good. It's, 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 it's even better name than the one that was second, voted second, which was Poster Maldonado LLC, which I'm pretty sure there might have been some legal issues with. Yeah. I also, I was trying to play with like, well, could we call it like some kind of homage? Like, could we call it Racing Al Pastor? Oh, that's good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But Neum, yeah. it's only five letters. It's pretty good. I feel like Racing Al Pastor, we can, that can be a patron only video where we like make burritos together. In like okay. the styling yeah. of an F1. Okay. Yeah. Put that in the goals. <laughs> yeah. 600. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, we've got a um, an email from Pete. Subject, it's not just Ferrari. Greetings, men. 
Have a look into McLaren's new sponsor uh, slash partner, quote, Uh, a better tomorrow, better known as British American Tobacco. They, too, have engaged the services of the Global Management Doublespeak Machine. So I went to their website, um, and there's some really good, uh, really good copy here. Um, (laughs) McLaren Racing announces from a uh, press release where all of that stuff is. Uh, McLaren Racing announces global partnership with British American Tobacco, focusing solely on potentially reduced risk products and grounded in technology <laughs> and innovation. Wow. If you imagine how many like companies that the marketing people that went through and that was the best version they could come up with. The yeah. like least shady version. Oh my god. Could you say that again? Uh, focusing solely on potentially reduced risk products. And grounded in technology and innovation. Potentially reduced risk. Yeah. Wow. Also, I'm going to post in the uh, in the, the chat here um, the link to it. Check out the logo for A Better Tomorrow. It just looks straight out of RoboCop. A Better Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. That looks like the Top Gear logo. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you're right. A Better Tomorrow. There's no, like... Literally, if you could ever come up with a name of a company that just instantly think makes me think that you're doing some sh- shadiness, a better tomorrow. Like, it could be anything. It could be you that know, could be a, the subtitle. Yeah, that could be the subtitle to like uh, the company that made the Jurassic Park dinosaurs. <laughs> you know. Right? Uh, oh. And just just you know, as a control group here, uh, let's check in with Blue Coast Brewing's website. Okay. Uh, Produced only using the finest ingredients, Blue Coast Brewing Company beer is the calling card for all discerning beer drinkers, seeking not only a quality brew, but a tangible experience. I hate those intangible beers I've been drinking. Yeah. You know when you have you know when you have a beer and you just like you feel like, wow, did that happen to me or was that just kind of in the ether? Oh my god. All right. Founders and motorsport icons, Jensen Button, Daniel Ricardo, and Karen Minier Coltard. Uh, okay. who um, is a Belgian TV presenter. Okay. Know a thing or two about quality living and the better things in life. Whether traveling the world for a career or pre- pleasure, they know how to combine good times and good people with a great brew. Wow. Finally, I get to drink. This is the real champagne of beers. Yo, oh, this isn't even the champagne I of beers. This is the... <laughs> we need to prepare ourselves uh-huh. uh, for... What if this is this good? What if it's that good? Oh no! Like this is the, the, no. Like we're making fun of it. Like ha ha ha. You know we're gonna try this. Like where the fuck this beer is? Here is the problem. <laughs> what if we have shipped from overseas a case of Ambrosia, <laughs> and we're sitting there and like every time you crack a Blue Coast, oh. it is like hanging with Jensen and Daniel uh, on a. You know, on a, on a sidewalk on the Côte d'Azur on a breezy day. What if it's that? We just like we just played ourselves. Oh, we've just given ourselves the most. Like at that stage, then the Patreon just becomes a fund for our horrific, like <laughs> lifestyle decision that we have to like. We all feel the, the need to collectively buy a boat. 
Oh, yeah, God. we just moved Monaco? to the south of France. What, yeah. What's the... All three of us moved to... I mean, Rob, you already work remotely. Yeah. There's video games we can cover in the south of France, right? I mean, you'd be right beside Africa, Drew. That's more your flavor, right? Go sure. somewhere Go somewhere really out of the way. Perfect. Let's do it. Let's... Yeah. Let's go for it. They got free healthcare there, right? <laughs> They're still part of the EU. <laughs> We're good. France is a haven. South of France is a haven. There's no problems with racism down there. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Scott writes in, <laughs> new to F1, uh, the Netflix documentary got me into it. Been listening to your podcast. Is there an app that would allow me to listen to the team radios? Thanks in they advance. Still, yeah. Do they still do that on the official F1 app? I think they do, but I think you might need to be a subscriber to do it. So, yeah. So in the past, you could listen to, was there one channel that that played oh no you're right there yeah so the app would give you data on it would give you the timing for free it would give you track position yeah i think you could watch some telemetry and stuff but i think it the subscription to the app comes with f1 tv i think you might be able to get it a la carte but i think at this point it is like three bucks a month and that's the same as um uh the lower tier of f1 tv and I actually recommend getting the F1 app when you're at a race so that you can listen to uh, the um, not only the radio messages, but the broadcast as well. I think BBC Radio 5 is the one that they use for the app. They don't do the Skype or the uh, the Sky feed. They do uh, the radio, BBC Radio feed. So, um, okay. yeah, check uh, that out. So I, I've gotten it here, actually. If you're an okay. F1 TV access subscriber. So if you get it normally, you've got there's analysis, Grand Prix schedules, kind of all the generic um, information you would expect from a from a, a baked-in um, or first-party app. If you're an F1 TV access subscriber, so if that means if you're paying whatever it is, I think I paid 60 bucks for the year, something like that. Like that. Um, you get live telemetry data and driver tracker for every session, speed, throttle, gear, brake, and DRS, um, sector times and pit stop info, interactive driver tracking map, English audio commentary and the best team radios and race control messages. So you can't just tune in apparently to each of the I think I think there is an there is a I think what you're getting is the F1 like like the 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 filtered version of the radio which then the TV decides which parts of those they're putting on. So you're not getting it's not like you have like serious sure? serious X. That's what it, that's what it says there. It says the mm, best okay. ones. Oh, I see. So. Uh, yeah, un- unfortunately, I've never dived into that because I always watch the replays, and I'm always afraid of launching an app for fear of spoilers. So I don't try to like yes. synchronize the app and the the TV at the same time. But um, yeah. Uh, last email here from John. Hey guys, just a quick clarification on the minimum weight rule for drivers. There was already a minimum weight regulation before. The thing that's new now is that it used to be between car and driver, meaning if Mm. the driver was underweight, the team could add ballast anywhere they wanted on the car, allowing them to use the weight as balance, causing teams to push for lighter weight drivers. Now the ballast must be added at the seat, making the impact uh, much Uh, smaller. Aha. That's that what is important. Right. Wow, yeah. that is sinister. They clearly knew what the rule was about and were like, nah. <laughs> uh, thanks to everybody who wrote in and said hey around the internet, but now it is time to say hey, Danny. Let's race around the world. Yeah. Formula E is in Rome this week uh, for their round seven. Uh, mm-hmm. The WeatherTech Sports Car Championship 
is having their third round uh, <laughs> at, where is this, Long Beach for the Bubba Burger Sports Car GP. Oh, my God. Is that like Bubba Gump but with burgers? No, Bubba Burgers are uh, they're frozen burgers that you can cook oh. directly from frozen. They're pretty cool, actually. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> supercars are uh, at Phillip Island this weekend. World Superbike Championship is at TT Assen, which is one of my favorite uh, MotoGP races. Um, but MotoGP themselves are at the Red Bull Grand Prix of the Americas. Uh, I think uh, Mark Mark, um, not Mark Markison. What is it? Mark Marquez. Mark Marquez. Jeez, uh, he has won like every single uh, American Grand Prix that he has ever entered. So look out for that. Uh, IndyCar is also at Long Beach this weekend. The NHRA is at uh, the Royal Purple Raceway. For the uh, in in Houston, for the Mopar Express Lane Spring Nationals, Super GT kicks off round one in Okayama, Okayama oh. International Circuit. Okayama Which prefecture? Can, I believe it's Mimasakashi. Terrific prefecture. Oh no, it's in the town. I think the town is Mimisaka. It is the Okayama prefecture. So it's actually named after the prefecture. So it's really the most Perfect. legit circuit. Wow. Um, all right, where's my tab? Uh, all right, yes. And uh, uh, that is it, except for oh my. NASCAR. They're at the Richmond Raceway in Richmond, Virginia, for the Toyota Owners 400. Oh, my God. That's on Toyota this weekend? Owners? Oh, yeah. Toyota Owners. Only for Toyota Owners. There's a How special part in the parking lot for you. In your Toyota. Oh, I forgot. Uh, Richmond, it's just, oh, it's only two and a half hours away. Do it, Danny. Oh. It. So what's the one? There's one that's in Dover, Delaware, which is closer to me. Maybe that's the one I'll do. That's like that's like an hour away. Uh, we. I have an email that I should forward you if you, oh. if you want to go to Dover. Sure. Uh, okay. Formula One is this weekend. These are... Uh, Eastern Times, practice one Thursday, that's right, Thursday, April 11th at 10 p.m. on ESPN News. Uh, I'm going to give the ESPN TV stuff here, but of course you can see all of it on F1 TV if you are a subscriber to that. Uh, practice two is Friday, technically, April 12th at 2 a.m. on ESPN 2, The Deuce. Uh, practice three, Friday, uh, April 12th at 11 p.m. ESPN News qualifying Saturday again technically uh, at April 13th 2 a.m. on ESPN 2. Uh, Gridwalk starts uh, Sunday April 14th at 1.30 a.m. followed by the race fellas Sunday April 14th at 2 a.m. on ESPN 2. Beautiful. Can't wait. Watching it live. Are you really? <laughs> ah, we'll see about that. I got family coming in this weekend. I can't be that asshole. <laughs> Keep them all up. Oh, uh, okay. Until next time, I'm Drew Scanlon. That is Danny O'Dwyer and Rob Zachney. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Anything else, Danny? No. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any Patreon stuff coming up. Probably. We're going to do a new vote for uh, the next game. This uh, Jeff Kramer video was technically a holdover from last month. So um, while I was in Austin, I picked up some other uh, some more games. So we're going to have a vote for those on the Patreon uh, for the next F1 uh, game history. But apart from that, looking forward to China. China. Fantastic. Rob? 
you know, I wasn't sure about Blue Coast, but now seeing that Noah Wiley uh, is an ambassador <laughs> for the brand. Uh, oh my right. god! I think we can't. That case can't get here soon enough. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Yeah.